I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. There are, of course, those who do not want us to speak. Greed, deception, abuse of power, that's no plan. They, they just gatekeep knowledge, you know? They're, they're to total masters of deception. They manipulate everything. You know, these, these pricks at the helm have lied to us. It's... I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. They're, they're setting it up for the Great Deception. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it all revolves around the Great Deception. Yeah, right? it, bingo. And L.A. and I talked about that. I said, L.A., is this the Great Deception? And he didn't hesitate. He said, absolutely. I never used to question before, and now I question everything. Well, we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. The world needs a wake-up call. Welcome to the Great Deception Podcast. I'm your host, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Tonight, we have a fun one. Uh, ley lines. I don't know what you guys know about them. I didn't really know a whole lot until I started digging into the old world stuff. And I came across this book called The Sacred Network by uh, Chris Hardy. And in it, she talks about basically France and a little bit of England, but mainly France and how the architecture there is along these sacred lines. And and we'll get into it. It's a very debatable subject. Um, it is considered a pseudoscience. So you'll have your naysayers and I will give their side of it too. I have uh, two or three different opinions from other people that don't agree with ley lines. So before we get into it though, <clears throat> patreon.com slash the great deception podcast that's where you can contribute to the show you can get involved um, in our monthly calls you get every monday night master debater video on there on the next day uh, as well as uh, other stuff pictures books uh, show materials um, a variety of stuff plus we have, have interaction direct interaction there as well and we have two new patrons. Ironically, both are named Lisa. So thank you to Lisa and Lisa I Am. Thank you both so much for joining the patrons. And I look forward to talking with you guys in February. And we will have our call probably the second week in February. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be uh, moving some stuff around uh, end of January, early February. So I, I'm booking probably on the second week here. So in addition to that, guys, go check out some of these shows here um, that I have listed. Um, Julia over at the Cosmic Peach Podcast is doing a whole series on the Nephilim I recommend going to check out. 
every episode I listen to of Operation Red Pill podcast. Those guys are doing great work over there. So go check them out. They've been all over the map on different topics, but just just killing it right now. Um, the uh, latest one where where they bring in their biblical references just made me look at things. I, I, I still have to listen to the rest of it and listen to it again. But guys, go listen to Operation Red Pill. They will make you think. Uh, Ron over at the Wicked Planet's doing great things with Buckley. We got Deborah Gets Red Pilled. Uh, they revamped their show over there. Uh, the guys that are rising from the ashes always do great work. My dear friend Ellie over at Speed Bumps. Uh, Janet over at Deplorable Nation. If you're into the political side, I highly recommend Andrew from Punk uh, Politics and Punk Rock Podcast and According to Sam. Okay, those two shows are my two go-tos for politics in addition to the Jimmy Dore show. Uh, the Jimmy Dore, uh, here it says Jimmy Core. That's hilarious. Uh, Jimmy Dore, uh, liberal comic, absolutely great show. I highly recommend it. Um, gives you a little bit of the other side, um, but he also has been fed up with everything. So uh always my friends at the legit bat my friends the cunts over at the conspiracy underground news team i love what they do davy at the red pill um my buddy ny at the ny patriot and occult rejects and then guys go check out upstate unconventional um nico and rosie have kind of revamped it a little bit and and rosie's taking the show by the horns a little bit and, and making her contributions. And she's been doing great work on angels and things like that. So I highly recommend going to check that out. Strange Neighborhood Podcast. Always love that. She does great work over there. And then Drew over at You're Missing the Point. He's involved with Bob and, and Andy. They also have the Conspiracy Theater 3000, which I go I recommend going to check out. And then last but not least... Our friend from this show, Matthew Smith, has branched out and started his own podcast, The Marvelous Old World. So he has a YouTube channel. Go check it out. He did an awesome video on um, Seattle. And it's really picking up steam over there. I'm glad to see that. Matthew does great work. And hopefully him and I will be reconnecting here in the near future to collaborate on some work because I love working with him and he just has great information that i think everybody in this you know realm should hear so enough of the nonsense let's get to the meat and potatoes of this stuff all right we got ley lines are they myth or are they reality honestly i don't know i did i've, I've been you know like i said looking into them Probably for the better part of a year off and on, a little more or less. Or no, definitely more. But And looking into them, I, I don't know. And he, here's why. Look right here. Okay, right here we have three different pictures. And guys, if you're listening to this, I apologize. This is going to be a, a video-heavy episode. So it will be on Spotify. It will be on Patreon. And it will be on YouTube as long as they allow it. So... Um, but what we're looking at here, okay, is three different maps, three different sets of ley lines. Now, 
granted the the one in the middle is a subset of these and possibly you know these two could work themselves in in some sort of pattern but there's you have to use some creativity with this because there is no given set okay and that's how i want to start this there's no you know one set of ley lines depends who you ask as to what you're going to get for an answer but what do we know we know that the architecture is special and it was built using certain qualities characteristics like sacred geometry the golden ratio things like that 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 induce balance right not and and here it says in architecture a balance of harmonics and synergy with the spirit world is achieved through designing a space or building in the proportions of archangel metatron's sacred geometry okay so what you see is balance you see repeating patterns fractals this is the same thing we've talked about with starforts okay there's a reason why and I, you know, I, I really think when it boils down to things, it has to do with frequency. And the more we dig into this, it comes down to vibration and frequency, everything. So when we look at ley lines, okay, we know we're in some sort of electric universe. You know, if you, if you don't think this place is, is energetic or magnetic or whatever it may be, okay, we're surrounded by frequencies, vibrations, energies cymatics right there's sacred geometry everywhere there's the golden ratio golden proportion everywhere there's geomagnetic connections here right there's there's all sorts of things that we cannot i mean you can touch them i guess but it's a feeling it's it's not something really tangible in that in in the normal sense now will it impact your overall being possibly yes we know that frequency we know that vibration has a significant impact on the human being and we know that sacred geometry and and the golden ratio also impacts human beings so if if you think about it there has to be something that keeps that energy in line right there's some flow to it now we can go to the old world, right? And we've, we, in the last episode, we talked about the Mesoamerican magnetism, right? How they found all these stones that were in these magnetic spots and the stones were magnetic. It's like they were attracted to that spot. Now, does the earth have a certain magnetism? Possibly. Now, grounding. We talked about that last time. One of the, uh, a very beneficial health thing take off your shoes go walk in the grass go walk in the forest the woods get as far away from any lines um any uh, electromagnetic waves emfs anything and let your body just absorb the natural energies around you and grounding Grounding, what grounding saying is that there's a natural energy in the earth 
and that by connecting it, right? What, what do we normally have on our shoes? We normally have rubber soles. Well, rubber is one of the most anti-conductive materials out there. So that kills that flow of energy. If there is an energy flow in the ground up through us, once again, disconnecting us from the natural way of being. Is that why many people walk barefoot in the native lands, you know, when whenever possible, obviously in, in snow and everything. And, and honestly, I don't know if you guys ever used to watch that show. I think it was called, oh, I don't remember, some survival show, but it had this crazy guy, Cody. And the guy didn't wear shoes. Not crazy guy, but he didn't wear shoes. He didn't wear shoes in the snow. Like it didn't matter. He he was wherever he went, he was not wearing shoes and he had built up calluses on his feet. And, but I still think there's at some point you got to worry about like frostbite and stuff like that. But Hey, what do I know? But back to the original point, is there a natural energy current that flows through the ground, you know, and, and we'll look at that here. Are the, you know, now, on the other side, are the ley lines simply a reflection of the sky above? So do these lines follow the patterns of the sky? Because one of the things that we see in ancient architecture is they build in patterns based on constellations. You know, we look right here, the pyramids, right? In Egypt, in China, in Mexico, and if you look at New York City, off all those spots, all of them line up with Orion, right? And Orion's belt. And then you look over here on the right and you got the Grand Canyon. It does the same thing. So it has some of the, the different layouts. And so we start thinking about it. You know, you get into the whole as above, so below concept again. And guys, Listen, I am no expert on this subject matter whatsoever. I find this stuff really fascinating and really interesting. Decided to do a little bit of research. Honestly, I haven't done a ton of research compared to, you know, some of the things I cover. But I wanted to get it out there and discuss with you all and see what you think. Because according to Chris Hardy, she believes that these are real. And so, again, a lot of this is based on her book, the sacred network. And I will preface it by saying that, that a lot of these concepts and ideas are hers. They're not mine. And, you know, I agree with some of them. Some of them I think are a little out there. Um, but what it basically, what it is, it deals with different types of energy, cosmic and telluric. It deals with the earth having a natural grid, right? And if we look at this picture down here on the bottom, right, that's an example of it. At about every five degrees, you have a line, and that line is said to have some sort of energetic value. It's on the grid. We're all connected. Now, should that grid get disconnected, what happens? Everything disconnects, right? And that's maybe why we're having the issues we have today. Maybe the grid is messed up. It's not flowing the way it should. And there's different theories on things that impact the grid. What are, what are some of the, you know, transmitters down here on earth for that grid? Things like standing stones, anchors, things like megaliths, the buildings themselves could be nothing more than a transmitter. 
a capacitor and a transmitter. And one of the things that we see over and over again is that they build on the same spot. So that tells you something. That land, that area has a significance, some sort of sacred land. Now, is that like a, you know, a generational energy that builds up? Like they talk about in, in houses, you know, you, the, the, it has, you know, it collects all that energy over all that time. Is that what we're talking about here? Possibly. But then we're, what we're really going to look into are what interests me a lot is, is the cathedrals. And then a couple lay, um, ley lines, specific ley lines that they call out and point out that have, you know, a significant amount of structures that are on the lines. And then we'll get into some of the, you know, some of the features of ley lines too. What makes up ley lines? And then lastly, we'll get into the critics. We'll hear the naysayers. What do they have to reign on this sacred network parade? We'll see. And then if we have time, I also have a, um, I found Seattle actually had their own ley line plan in 1987. And we can run through that real quick if we have time, if this doesn't get too long, but we've already, you know, <clears throat> beat this dead horse. Let's get this show on the road here. So the origins. Okay. So according to the Germans, they were the Helige Linian. To the Irish, they were the fairy paths, dragon lines to the Chinese, spirit lines to the Peruvians, song paths to the Aborigines of Australia, and so on around the world. We see this idea of these lines over and over. Well, in eight, September 1870, William Henry Black gave a speech to the British Archaeological Association in Hereford. And it, he titled it Boundaries and Landmarks, where he speculated that monuments existing uh, exist marking grand geometrical lines which cover the whole of Western Europe. So he believes in lines, and this is 1870. Okay, so let's see where we go from there. Now, the guy, the modern father of ley lines would be Alfred Watkins. Okay, and in, in 1921, Mr. Watkins was walking um, in Herefordshire, and he went riding on a horse. He was in the in the hills, and he saw the different paths, like the footpaths that people were taking. And he noticed that it was a straight line from one hilltop to another. So then he starts looking at the maps and looking at the different alignments, and then he said the whole thing came to him in a flash. He told his son at a later time. And he believed that in ancient times when Britain was much more densely forested, that the country was crisscrossed by a network of straight line travel routes with prominent features of landscape being used as navigation points. So these were the lines that kept people going, right? Think about it. It's the current. People are traveling on it. It's the energy getting people to certain points. 
Be the sites man-made or natural, they all fell into a pattern, usually a straight line. He found sacred monuments often resided along these energy grid paths on the earth and that the access points along the sacred pathways often had a large abundance of energy like a vortex. So according to Mr. Watkins, these things are real. So we see here in the weird encyclopedia, it says two British dowsers, Captain Robert, Robert Boothby and Reginald Smith of the British Museum have linked the appearance of ley lines with underground streams and magnetic currents. Seems legit. Then you have lay spotter slash dowser Underwood conducted various investigations and claimed that crossings of negative water lines and positive aquastats explain why certain sites were chosen as holy. He found so many of these double lines on sacred sites that he named them holy lines. So there are some early claims that there were these sacred lines. So let's go even further back. We'll look at Plato. What did Plato say? Plato recognized grids and their uh grids and their patterns, devising a theory that the Earth's basic structure evolved from a simple geometric shapes to more complex ones, right? The sacred flower, flower of life. It contains all four elements. So then we go on to, this was a cool one. This has no tie. This is fire, okay? This is the interior of the Earth with fire conducts according to um, Athanasius Kircher. And this is in Mundus Subterraneus from 1664. And this is talking about the fire within the earth. But I thought this was kind of a cool, if you look at it this way, this would be how it would work, right? You would have these lines that would all connect out and, and reach out <clears throat> and work through the surface. And at these given points, it would be emanated. Okay, usually cathedrals, monuments, uh, standing stones. They would be the connectors of this grid on the land to keep it going. Now, with what what are they connecting it to? They're connecting it to above. So what he's what what Chris Hardy is arguing is that it's taking energy from the ether, which is above the cosmic energy, and then the telluric energy from below, and it's it's using the stones the cathedrals as the circuit to complete the circuit of it and using those and we'll get into that here in a minute but this little uh diagram by cursor really interested me when it came to ley lines because that's kind of how i i envision it in my head is these these energetic lines that emanate throughout the globe and certain points is stronger now what helps these things travel obviously i think water is a major a major thing here. Why is almost every major cathedral built on top of a source of water? It's not just a coincidence, I don't believe. Okay, so what are ley lines? Ley lines are the lines that crisscross around the globe, like latitudinal and longitudinal lines that are dotted with monuments and natural landforms that carry along with them rivers of supernatural energy. Along these lines, at the places they intersect, there are pockets of concentrated energy that can be harnessed by certain individuals. 
It is a theorized grid of energy lines that apparently surrounded the Earth. The points on the grid contain many of what are considered the Earth's most sacred sites. And what you'll see here is you have the vertical lines, right? And then you have the horizontal lines. And those would be, give you your crisscross pattern. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about this, what I kept seeing were two intersecting pyramids, right? An up, uh, uh, an upside down pyramid with a regular pyramid. And it, it forms that X, that point, that cross where it seems like energy would flow. Now, this is um, what's dubbed St. Michael's line. Okay, so now you're taking a line and you're drawing a line on a map and they're going from England to Israel, actually from Ireland to Israel. And you see there are significant structures along the way. Now, is that coincidental? Could be. Is there, is there some significance to this line? Could be. We'll have to dig deeper. So we look at St. Michael's alignment, and that's what this is right here. So uh, Watkins backed up the existence of his ley lines by pointing out that many monuments around the globe can seemingly be connected by a straight line. For example, stretching a line from the southern tip of Ireland all the way to Israel, there's a straight line that connects seven different landforms that bear the name Michael or some form of it. How about that for a coincidence? Just by chance. Okay, they just happen to have those. Now, Michael's a common name, yes. I will hear the critics right away. Oh, Michael, I get that. But this is it's awfully coincidental. Okay, as far as their supernatural component, the ley lines mystery deepens when it's revealed what they connect. Along the ley lines lie the Great Pyramids of Giza, Chichen Itza, and Stonehenge, all wonders of the world that continue to surprise archaeologists today. Perhaps their presence on the ley lines near the so-called energy pockets could explain their inceptions, all of which defied the laws of architecture at the time. All right, now here, little video. When we get into ley lines, we find out that all these ancient monuments like Stonehenge are built on the same straight line pathways where these churches, abbeys, and cathedrals are built on. What I'm suggesting is that the cathedral is an ascension mechanism. First of all, they burn frankincense and myrrh, and we know now that frankincense has these weird chemicals in them called sesquiterpenes, which when you breathe them, it actually activates your pineal gland. The pyramid effect from the roof, you're hearing this stuff, it's echoing, and then you're looking at that stained glass window, which is a mandala. You get this huge spiritual hit, but you don't know why. Perfect ascension chamber built to activate your consciousness. The Knight Templars brought all that science over from Egypt. What do you think? Now, David Wilcock, yes, take him with a grain of salt. He can have some crazy ideas, but I think there's a little truth in every craziness. Okay, so let's dig a little deeper. Now, this is what I was talking about before with the telluric energy. Let me move myself out of the way here. Okay, so when we look at this, what is telluric earth energy? So according to Hardy, 
these giant telluric waves undulating vertically and linked to geomagnetic field of Earth create a network of crisscrossing lines all around the Earth. Okay, it's an energy of the cosmos that's released into sacred buildings through channeling of cosmic rays linked to the stars. Sounds a little crazy, right? But let's dig into it a little more. If a church or a temple is built at a precise spot, the structure increases the strength of the energy, the crossing point, and imprints it with the quality of consciousness of the people who pray or meditate there, right? That's that collective idea. The flow of energy will be de deviated from the main point and will ascend vertically from the center of the dome of the structure or along its steeple or spire. The sacred building directs the telluric energy in its ascending flux along the field lines the, uh, of the architecture and its anchor in the stone, wood, and metal. Most of the telluric energy that springs from the ground is drawn upward following walls, columns, and arches all the way to the dome or steeple if the building is perfect. So this is why sacred geometry was so important. That's why these buildings are in many, you know, ways of thinking about it. They're perfect. There's, there's a perfection to them. That's why you can go up to an arch and whisper into it and, and have someone on the other side of the cathedral at the other end of that arch. And they can hear you like you're, you're talking through a megaphone. Go, go look that up. Those videos are crazy. Okay, but if we look at this diagram here, what you're seeing is what they're showing on the lower level down below would be a cave or a water source. Then you would have your obelisk, of course. They they have to have their penis symbol. Okay, everybody knows that. And then what that would do is the energy would come through the ground, through the cave, through the obelisk, up top, and then out into the ether. So it's that crisscrossing grid that we were talking about. Now, the second type of energy that I was talking about before was the cosmic energy that she mentions. That's the etheric energy. So it's the second major inflow of energy received by a temple is the one that comes from the cosmos. The spire is a natural antenna and it attracts some of the most mysterious energy from the stars. Currents of energy arrive from the cosmos and descend following a steeple, spire, towers, or along the dome or arches. They follow uh, the architecture until they plunge into the ground where the energy charges in the crypts and the earth beneath the buildings. Which makes sense too, if you think about it. If you believe in etheric energy, if you've seen any of Tesla's work, you've seen what can be harnessed from the sky. What they're saying here is they're taking that in reverse of what we just looked at with the telluric, right? So if we go back a, a slide, and now instead of taking it from the ground up, we're going to take it from the top and we're going to bring it down into this cave or crypt or spring. And that's where you get the idea of holy water, okay? Is that these these things are the are charging the water, giving it that frequency, Earlier, we mentioned as above, so below. Well, is it just a coincidence in France that eight Gothic cathedrals 
reproduce the Virgo constellation. And Virgo would tend to be Mary, right? Notre Dame of Paris, Beauvau, Amiens, Noyon, uh, Senlis. I'm, I'm butchering these names. I'm not French. Léon, Lépine, and what's the last one? Reims, okay? They form the constellation Virgo. Is there some sort of line there? We shall see. So now we get into what she deems the natural grid. And that she says that's a network of connecting sacred buildings or stones that is not only anchored to the natural telluric grid, but is also perfectly enmeshed into it, forming a seamless and balanced mandala. And that's, again, you look at the mandala, where do we see that? You see that in the rose windows of churches, cathedrals prominent in these architectural structures another thing that you see obelisks prominent in these cities okay through centuries with each new civilization this natural grid has been expanded magnified revered and embellished with druidic sacred sites gallo-roman temples and christian churches and cathedrals monuments are not uh, overtly religious but which have been built according to sacred geometry and fit tightly into the sacred network. So what they're showing you right here, um, this is an obelisk in the middle. And then if you look at the, the lines following the sacred, sacred ge geometric patterns out from it, you will see all of the architecture that falls on or within these lines. And that would all in theory, be covered by this natural grid or be a part of this natural grid working in conjunction with it. Now, what are what is another element to this grid? Well, standing stones. Standing stones are, guys, it's not like a little rock that's standing there, okay? Some of these things are, you know, 20 feet high. We're not talking about little, little tiny things. And then you have standing stones where they're dolmens and they put a uh a massive stone on top of the other stones like we have up here in the upper corner here you see this large huge table stone that's laying balanced on these other stones now what we'll notice about standing stones they are uh, elongated or pointed in vertical shapes such as the minier the steeple or the tower and it acts as an antenna attracting cosmic energies that waves flowing through a network of standing stones or churches are in fact cosmotelluric waves. So these are antennas. Much like 5G towers today, cell phone towers today, that supposedly are used to transmit the signal. That's what they're alluding to with these. Now, what I find interesting about these standing stones is there's such a variety of them, and they're all over the world. Now, when you look at them, some of them are inscribed like this large one here up on top. Some are just in um, certain patterns on the ground, circular patterns, lines on the ground. Um, others, like this one, you have it's bored out perfectly. Perfect circle, bored out. Again, another one over here. And when you see these circles, the first thing I'm thinking of, okay, 
that has to do with the sun or the moon, right? It's either a solstice type thing, um, sunset. That's usually when I what I think when I see the holes in the stone. It usually has to do with something from relation to the sun. Then you just see this massive stone that they have just standing in a field. Or like we talked about before, the collection up here. It's just, it's it's very interesting. These these stones are massive. I looked at hundreds of them and they blew my mind because I'm like, man, these things are massive. Why would they be there? It's just puzzling. So now we get into vortices or vortex. It's a point of energy. It's a point on the energy grid, right? It could be a building. Um, they're connected by the ley lines according to this. Sacred sites are often found at the vortices. These are uh, the likely the areas you hear about, like Stonehenge, many places in the American West, and other ancient monuments like Angkor Wat. Many modern structures, like cathedrals or temples, are considered sacred by religious adherents. Some are believed to have been built on sites that already exist, had existing mystical, magical, and religious associations of pre-Christian people. Remember, there was life before Christianity. Some people will say it was hell on earth, but hey, there was life before Christians. There was ways of doing things before Christianity. There were um, Gnostics, different religions, different modes of worship, different gods. From a ley line perspective, these energetically powerful sites are believed to be the vortices. There are a number of places across both North and South America that are considered to be sacred sites. And you're like, oh, North and South America, well, they're, they're relatively new, right? So they shouldn't have that many. Yeah, look, just littered with sacred sites across North and South America. And I think this is drastically understated too. I think they've neglected Brazil. I mean, they, they left out the whole rainforest. I mean, with the, the LIDAR technology we have today, God only knows how many beautiful cities are have been swallowed up by the jungle. And they're finding more and more of them every day. So I guarantee you that's littered with sites. I find it ironic that basically... You know, it looks like Texas, that whole Midwest area where we find it's just to the west of all the mounds. There's nothing that's speculative because in the Grand Canyon we know is over there. So I just find it really interesting that uh, the number in North and South America for places that are supposedly, you know, managed by these natives, you know, what, what do they call them? Um, I'm a native savages, right? Is the word they love to use about the native people. Savages, these aboriginals. So come on, guys, we got to be better than this. All right, now this is an interesting one. This is semantic field theory. I don't know if I buy into it, but just think about it, okay? Building continuously expanded and empowered the same semantic field, the same conscious field, by concentrating spiritual energy on places that are naturally beneficial to the body and soul. The sacred network of each religion has been precisely and respectfully embedded within all previous networks. 
So this is saying that they build these air, these churches or cathedrals on these sacred spots. Now, whether it was previously a different religion or not, that ground still harnesses that sacred energy from the previous religion, previous time. And uh, and and so here's an interesting um, pyramid that Hardy came across, which links multiple. Okay, again, at the center is this obelisk. But then it connects all these different St. John's churches in France. All these cathedrals of St. John's are tied to this pyramid. Coincidence? Possibly. But when we start getting into who are the builders of these, you'll start seeing it's going to make a lot more sense. Okay. Harmonic resonance. Here's another one that's kind of a little woo-woo at least the way she presents it, because you're you're tying in with the telluric field. But harmonic resonance connects collectively to the planetary uh, teller field. Sacred network is the backbone on which the teller field thrives. You have to have the backbone, the infrastructure. The people who prayed and gathered together at ancient sacred sites were creating and charging the first teller fields. Now you get into Alice Bailey, good old Alice Bailey. She predicted that the earth will be a sacred planet when all people become harmonized in spirit. And that's the idea of ascension, you know, and I don't know how much I buy into that, but I I think it would be great if everybody was in tune together, but I don't think it's also possible in this day and age. Then we get into Deschardins, okay? And um, he said, we are going to achieve harmonized collective state of consciousness, although this will not be at the expense of our individuality, the hard-won achievement of the past cycle. So he says that by us achieving a harmonized collective state of consciousness, we will rise together. And he said, but you, you know, what everybody says to that, and my biggest fear in that is, well, what about individuality? Isn't, aren't we supposed to hold on to that? And Or is that an ego thing? He says that we'll be able to collectively reach a harmonized state of consciousness and maintain our individuality, which I find really interesting. Semantic energy is the energy of consciousness. Now we get into anchor points. All right. These are much like standing stones. They are generally buildings where architecture conceived according to sacred geometry or the golden ratio. They consist of most sacred sites and sacred constructions. Um, It says more important crossings were magnificent cathedrals and abbeys. So the bigger the cathedral, the, the more significance, the more energy that was being input into this place. Now, the towers of these sacred buildings are shown, uh, she says, to have the number, not only show the number, but also the direction of the sacred lines by the numbers and sides and angles in their geometric form. So supposedly by looking at these different towers and by analyzing the um, buildings, you could tell where the lines and how many were coming from. I don't know. I'm not a ley lineologist, but looking at it, I mean, they may be onto something. They may not. 
Let's give a listen right here as we get into the cathedral and megalith portion. And for you, those of you that follow me on Instagram at the Great Deception Podcast, you'll have already seen this. I posted this uh, back around Christmas. Uh, I was watching an interesting documentary on the old um, cathedrals and things like that. And and this woman nails it. Churches were built on um, power lines and ley lines. And that these in themselves had power in the land. This was the the, the craft of, of the wise. We believed in, in, in Mother Earth and, and that we go back to Mother Earth. And, and it's not really a bad thing at all. And they nicked all of the ideas, that all of the, the pagan sites and Christianized it and splashed holy water on it and, and nicked all of the the religious relics and things that were inside and i would imagine they're probably still tucked away somewhere underneath the vatican so did you hear that basically they were they took these pagan sites sprinkled some holy water on them put the relics away in the basement and changed teams turned it into a catholic cathedral now if any of you know where we come from in in when it comes to the organized religions if you think they just took those sacred relics now there were certain of these holy warriors that would have destroyed every single one of them we know that because they wanted these people and and actually one of the books i'm reading right now uh, over here it's called yucatan before and after the conquest and that's what it talks about how this guy went in there and he just destroyed everything all their artifacts all their anything that had to do with their religion was destroyed because they had to convert and anything they were worshiping outside of you know catholicism was devil worship and had to be dealt with accordingly so as we look at this what we know that these guys were probably taking some of these relics and worshiping them still. And that's where you get this mishmash that we deal with today where, you know, you look at Vatican and that's a pretty satanic place. If you ask me, I mean, you look at some of the symbols that they're worshiping and some of the practices that they do, they don't seem very pure. They seem rather dark. And, and again, a lot of this guys is just intent. That's what it boils back down to intent. What's your intention? And, but let's get back to the buildings. Okay. So we look at the Freemasons, our favorite group factored in sacred geometry by designing many of their buildings in the layout of the tree of life with an alchemical river flow under or by the building to help connect it to the spirit world. Okay. Again, the elements. Before the Hindus erect any type of building, they construct a square from establishing due east and west. They then lay out the entire building accordingly. In Buddhism, the Temple of Buddha is often designed in mandalas as a square that leads up to a suggestive pyramid, various sacred geometric cubes of the 3D image of the flower life or Metatron's five-pointed star as commonly known as in judaism as the star of david right and 
that's the one we have here in the middle. The ancient Egyptians used regular polygons in their construction. Many sacred spaces follow sacred geometry outlined in Archangel Metatron's proportions, which include nature and water. And that's a prominent feature in these. Again, I talked about it over and over, is that water source. It's so important to these these buildings and where they put these things. Now, again, it's about balance. Okay, and we've dealt with this before when we dealt with cymatics in the Starford episodes. We talked about it in the Old World Architecture with Matthew Smith. If you remember, he brought the three diagrams of the three different uh, churches, um, Solomon's Temple and a couple others. But you notice that the layout of the body in the temple matches. And where do you enter? You enter in the lower chakras. Where does the knowledge come from? It comes from the higher chakras, the brain, if you look at the body as a temple. So let's get back to the cathedrals and the megaliths. They were a dense network of churches, cathedrals, and abbeys were regularly destroyed by fire and rebuilt using different architectural style, which one infamously built or burnt in the recent near future was Notre Dame. And we'll look at that and we'll, we'll think about that while we go through this, okay? A huge factor in building craze of the 11th century construction of churches were no longer built by monks. Okay, so before the 11th century, every almost all these cathedrals were built by the monks or people the monks would hire. Um, but now they were going to use civil guilds. So between 1050 and 1350, so in 300 years, 80 cathedrals, 500 churches, and tens of thousands of minor churches were constructed in France alone. The building rules were secrets that were jealously kept by the builders' guilds. Again, this secret, the secret knowledge that nobody wants to share. Okay, so both orientation of religious buildings and their precise locations are important. Hence why you see building on top of others. Churches generally are oriented to the east. Their choir pointing to the exact degree where the sun rises on the day of the feast of their patron saint. There are ancient altars or temples that exist under a number of religious buildings. Couple examples. So you have Chartres. Uh, Chartres. I spelt that long, wrong here on this. Um, built over a Druid shrine. Okay. So Chartres Cathedral hides within its walls stories which connect the world of the ancient Druids, the cult of the divine feminine, and Christianity. It is located on a ley line linking Glastonbury, Stonehenge, and the pyramids of Egypt. So we look at Notre Dame which was just burned, right? If we remember, it was built on the foundation of the temple to Isis and or the Roman goddess Diana. In 1163, the site of the temple of Isis would be the location where Notre Dame de Paris, the French for uh, Our Lady of Paris, would be built and had become the Parisian church of the kings of Europe. The original statue of Isis was preserved in uh, the Abbey of St. Germain until the year 1514 when the Archbishop of Mu had it destroyed. 
Okay, so now we will get Saint uh, Saint Sulpice in church, and that is also above a temple to Isis. So Saint Sulpice was built over the foundations of an older church dating to the 13th century. What is less certain is uh, whether, as is alleged, beneath the 13th century structure, there was originally an ancient temple to the goddess Isis. The fact that the city of Paris may have been named after Isis, par Isis, Paris. Very interesting. And this is Notre Dame, okay? And you're looking at the reconstruction of Notre Dame. And when we talk about these old buildings, remember, they talk about it has to be perfect. In order for the energy to flow, everything must be perfect. Well, that includes repairs. So architecture of cathedral must be designed according to the principles of sacred geometry and must remain intact and complete to function. So if anything's off about the structure, it does not function properly. If repairs must be done, they must be carried out with the utmost respect for the ancient architecture. A bad repair can damage the integrity of a building, blocking out the natural flow. Is this why there are so many fires at these buildings? So that they can wipe them out and create a new energy flow. Is that what the ritual of 9-11 was? Was that just a giant one of these? A sacred building may vibrate in total resonance no matter its architectural style. It must be pure and balanced in proportions. It must follow the golden ratio. Walls and arches must be perfect and whole to allow sound waves to pass through in a fluid way. You have the circular and half-circle domes and Roman arches instill inner silence and balance. The Gothic arch, the ogive, induces upward thrust and uplifting consciousness and spiritual love. So all of these things, look at the balance in all of these, okay? And these are the, um, these two diagrams here in the middle are the ones from Matthew Smith that I was referencing earlier. Over here, we have a cathedral and, and you look at the sacred geometry of it and the balance, everything is perfect. And that's how these things functioned. Now, in 16, June of 1601, Pope Gregory wrote Abbot uh, Melodus as he prepared to leave England. I've come to the conclusion that temples of the idols in England should not on any account be destroyed. Augustine must smash the idols, but the temples themselves should be sprinkled with holy water and altars set up in them in which relics are to be enclosed. I hope the people, seeing their temples are not destroyed, will leave their idolatry and yet continue to frequent the places as so formerly, so coming to know and revere the true God. And so um, Alfred Watkins says, it is on record that Patrick, the Bishop of Hebrides, desired Olegaris to build a church wherever he found the upright stones or meniers. The Catholic authorities therefore provided instructions to build churches on the exact spots where ancient temples and megaliths stood, and in practicality to cover them. 
Think about that. They should not be destroyed. And the order of the Pope specifies this three times, not once. He made sure this was crystal clear to everybody. And then even, even the author says, we cannot exclude an ulterior spiritual, if not an occult motive to this. And that's where the questions come in about organized religion, because it is this mix of the religion they preach with some paganism. There's always these like occultic overtones, you know, churches and cathedrals must be built on a mount. And that is this mount should have a spring or a well. In general, churches possess a well. Interestingly, nearby such uh, alive water often sits a black virgin. The black Madonna statues with black complexions are found in many churches and cathedrals in France. And that's an interesting thing. I didn't have enough time to dig into some more, but anybody that's interested, look into the black virgin or the black Madonna statues in France. Wild how many there are. Catholic churches are interwoven on a sacred grid of a standing stones and Druidic cult palaces. So they're using, again, the previous regime. They're just coming in, cleaning it up. It's ours now. Spring, like they said, sprinkle some holy water on it. Good to go. Just get rid of all their relics. We don't need their pagan paganism interrupting our, uh, our pure holy religion, which most of their religion nowadays incorporates a lot of paganism. One of the builders of the secret was to construct a church at the exact same spot where ancient cults had their temples. Ian Taylor is said to have found eight ley lines and six standing stones covering an area of about 20 miles by 12 miles. Along the eight lays, no less than four churches or chapels, two castle sites, two Roman sites, 18 springs, 14 cairns, five tumuli, and six fjords. Romans often place their roads over previous Celtic thoroughfares. Roman ways follow prehistoric lays that connect in straight lines, megalithic standing stones. So again, we get back to that straight line that Watkins talked about, that straight line crisscross pattern. Evidence megalithic sites have been expanded in various ages signifies that they have been used in different periods. So, you have the original structure like Stonehenge. They say that could have been built up to three times at least. And then Karnak's another one. Karnak, there's been additions to the original layout. Now, this is an interesting one. And this is probably the one that if I bought ley lines, this would be the ley line that makes a lot of sense. So this is the Mont Saint-Michel line. And this is a straight line that crosses Brittany from east to west that connects no less than eight sites dedicated to St. Michael, all of them on hilltops open to all directions. And it goes across 130 miles. To the east, it is aligned with the rising sun on May 1st, the, Cel the Celtic feast of Beltane. And to the west, it's aligned with the setting sun of November 1st, the Celtic feast of Samhain. Okay, anybody that wants to learn more about that, go over to my buddy Colorado Dank's page. 
he did a ton on Semain back around Halloween time. But if you look, look at all these different St. Michael's that are all attached. Now, could that be by design? Yes. Is there something more to it? Are they, you know, that they did it on purpose because of this energetic value? That's possible. Yeah. Because if you look at this design here, it kind of looks like a fractal antenna. So it's a very, very interesting idea. Um, again, you look, and this is the one we looked at before that goes from Ireland all the way down to Israel. All right. And this is the St. Michael alignment in England. And St. Michael seems to have a lot of lines. Now we look at Chartres Cathedral again. It's dedicated to two patron saints, the Virgin Mary and St. John the Baptist. Now, remember, everything has a purpose. The cathedral is aligned along the solstice axis. So the sun rises on the choir on the summer solstice, which just so happens to be the feast of John the Baptist. The sun sets on the winter solstice. It runs through the nave where the two towers flank each side of the great rose window. Okay, and that's the rose window right here. And then if you look again, you see the two towers and then it comes in through the one in the middle. So this design, they're working with, it takes great knowledge, okay? You're not just doing this and putting it up and then realizing, okay, yeah, this is where we're going to put this because that's where, no, they had to understand the solstice. They had to understand the sun and the positioning in order to build these accordingly. Now, why go through all that trouble? Is it just so that the sun's there on that given time or is there an energetic value to that? That's where the question is. Now, this I found interesting because if you think about it, it's even through World War II, France didn't have it too rough. All the governing leaders were the, uh, whether Gaelic chiefs, Roman emperors, kings of France, emperors of France, or presidents, have respected the fundamental sacred network of Paris and France, its sacred geometry and orientation no one's coming and relayed it it's a lot like dc so it makes you think who's guarding it because we know how these parasites love to change everything reinvent the wheel for themselves another way to make money scheme out so there is something powerful to france it's powerful to a lot of places. I mean, I'm, I feel the same way about North America. I mean, especially America. I feel, you know, that's why we've been told it's, it's the new world. Um, I feel that way about Asia. That's why it, it's been buried. A lot of the history has been buried and we've been told this Roman version. And I think, <laughs> you know, in all honesty, I think some of the least interesting places are the Middle East. I think the history elsewhere is could be much more interesting than what we've the little piece we've heard so far. So you go back to the 12th century. That's when you know you see this boom of Gothic building come out of nowhere too. It just it just exploded on the scene. 
And it was when this, you know, they got it out of the hands of the monks and they started letting entrepreneurs build these cathedrals. So what did they do in these places? Well, this is where they copied tons of manuscripts and they carried a massive amount of knowledge. There were two cistern abbeys uh, that were busy translating Hebrew and Muslim texts brought back by the Templars. For centuries, at least one group has been in control of a global plan, especially related to the planning of cities and architecture of major buildings. So, what group is exiled from France in the 1300s? Hmm, Knights Templar? Sound familiar? Well, what if, you know, they, they make it sound like there was this massive extinction of Knights Templar. No, they killed a few of them. They captured a few. Most of them escaped and got away. So, what if they just changed teams? Because in the 4th century, or 14th century, which is right around when the Templars disappear, Jacques de Molay, does that name sound familiar? That was the head of the Knights Templar. He created a guild called the Companions. Okay, in the 14th century. What happened October 13th, Friday the 13th, 1307? That was when the Templars were dissolved. No, that's when they were rounded up. They were dissolved officially by the Templar Order in 1312 by Pope Clement V. But this secret society, they had their own secret knowledge of building arts. They called it the Secrets de Métier, the Craftsman Professional Secrets. All were versed in symbolism, the golden proportion, and holy texts. What does that sound like? They mastered a variety of crafts required to build. They were stone carvers, wood carvers, masons. You name it, they could do it. Okay, They painted glass. They formed arches. They created rose windows, carved. They did geometrical designs. These guys were well-versed in ancient knowledge. The architects planned the location, the positioning, and the global architecture. At a time when not a ton was known about the globe, right? We're talking 1300s here. Apprentices sent all over France to learn with masters acquiring firsthand knowledge of the church building. But they also had to master symbolism of numbers, geometry, allegoric figures, myth, and more. And that's where these buildings get even more interesting because now you start getting into the Gnostic side of it. And that ancient occult knowledge, the secret knowledge that's buried in these buildings also. The builders from the secret societies had sacred knowledge that reached back beyond Catholicism. And what we have here, I found this little uh, cool diagram. It's just a, the last 10 original, not original, but companions on, on Earth. And, you know, most of them are dead now. But I, I, I had never heard of these guys. But this, is, this would make sense. 
if the Templars are have to go underground, they just change teams and they're going to just build cathedrals on a massive scale. And it really, really makes sense. You look at their getup here. They even have the little sashes like the Masons, little colorful sashes. They're all doing secret handshakes. I see hidden hands. I mean, it is what it is, guys. If it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck. How do interconnections from around the world in different cultures and at different time frames? Well, you have architectural planning by secret societies and they're using sacred geometry. Most ancient traditions used lines of geometric field of earth and ancient key ley lines built during the Neolithic, Bronze, and Iron Ages. Interesting. So you look here. Here's a ley line in Scotland that goes from the north of Scotland all the way down. You see all of these significant buildings that are lay. This is another one in France, which is very interesting because you start with Calais, then you have Calisi, and it ends with Kales. And then you have a, Mont, a lot of Mont and then ALs also along this line. Coincidence? Possibly. Intentional? I don't know. I didn't do it. I'm just pointing it out. What if sages... Druids and shaman of the ancient civilizations were able to see and understand the laws of cosmotelluric flows and energies as well as their influence on human consciousness. And that's why they chose that's what, yeah, you know, that would explain these sacred sites that were on these crossings charged with this beneficial energy where the telluric energies meet in harmony with the cosmic spirit energy. This would explain protecting these sacred sites and rebuilding, constructing around them. And this sounds an awful lot to me like star forts. Same thing, guys. Same principles here. There's a sacred ground. It's using uh, telluric earth energy with the cosmic energy. And you look at the patterns of some of those. Star forts? I don't know. Now let's look at megaliths, okay? So you have two types of megaliths. You have the meneers and you have the dolmens. Meneers is just like a huge standing stone, okay? Usually two to six yards in height. So you're looking anywhere from six feet to 20 feet. Some have carvings. Others are arranged in circles like Stonehenge, and others are in alignments like Karnak, like we looked at earlier. Now the dolmens are the huge flat natural stone called a table they're also associated with underground chambers and the mother goddess so when you think about meneers they could be think of as as the uplifting the ascending spots like antennas the dolmens are the grounding spots so the ascending energy of a spring originates below the ground and springs forth in contrast, the energy of a, a dome or a steeple um, resulting in a crisscross of telluric lines. So that's what we're looking for here. We're looking to cross swords. Rarely do we want to do this, but in this instance, crossing swords is acceptable. Now, 
you guys have heard of holy water, right? I mean, that idea of blessed water. And I always thought it was bullshit up until a few years ago when I started looking into Dr. Emoto and I started seeing his studies of water. Because I never really believed that you could charge water, that water would do anything. You know, I mean, it just doesn't like, oh, water can hold frequency. Water has feelings. The more you look into it, water is magic, man. Water is, it is a, a heavenly substance on this planet. So you look at these healing temples. They would have greater potency when situated on grounding spots and in caves. Patients would drink the sacred water and then sleep in a cave underneath the temple in order to receive a dream that would propose a cure. I found that really interesting that you were essentially because of the energy there, you would be, you know, telepathically almost provided a cure by staying in these crypts and drinking the sacred water. So you look at this example on the lower right here is St. Fulbert's uh, crypt. So ailing, ailing people used to live and sleep in the crypt, praying and drinking the holy water until they were healed. Now, uh, this is what I've been waiting to get to. Okay, here we go. We are going to talk about G-spots. Oh, yeah. We're going there. So there's three types of sacred spots. You got the A-spot, the G-spot, and the A-G-spot. So the A-spot is a crossing cosmotelluric line at the ascending energy spots above above ground marked with meniers and steeples. So again, that's that ascending energy. And if we look at this diagram over here, it's the rising of the curve, right? That's the A spot going up to the steeple, up to the meniere, up to the anchor point. Then you have the G spot, which, okay, guys, I'm only going to show you once where to find it, all right? So it's crossing cosmotelluric lines underground, grounding spots like dolmens, caves, and crypts. So if we look at this diagram, now take note, follow this line right down here is where you'll find the G-spot, all right? And that's the line, and that's underground, and that would be uh, more associated with your dolmens and your crypts and your caves. Now, the AG-spot, is a complex double site with both an ascending flow and a grounding flow. So that would have, you know, maximum energy we're talking about at that those type of spots. Now we're going to look at the golden rectangle and the golden proportion. So the golden rectangle is one of the geometric figures based on the golden proportion. It's a mathematical proportion held sacred uh, since Egyptian times and was part of a sacred geometry developed by Pythagoras. The golden proportion is widely used in architecture. All right. Much like it's using cathedrals, churches, city movements. And it has many interesting properties that's also found in natural shapes and phenomena. You'll find it in flowers, everything. And if you take a little bit of magic mushrooms, you will see the golden ratio, golden rectangles everywhere. It's all fractals. 
the middle space of a golden rectangle is the sacred spot. So if we're looking at this, uh, I believe that's Taj Mahal there, where the sacred spot's going to be right in here. It's going to be one of them. And then you flip it, there's going to be another one right here. Now notice the balance, right? You can flip this over and it's going to be the same thing. So embedded golden rectangles and a golden spiral. So in each uh, golden rectangle, extract the square. So you take the square out and you draw an art having its radius on the side of the square, you will get the golden spiral. And it's all proportional. Sacred. And where do we see the same thing? In the Fibonacci sequence which is any number divided by the previous one that results in a number approaching the golden proportion or phi. The golden ratio is 1.618. And you see it in architecture, you see it in nature, you see it in animals, you see it in humans, everywhere. It's, it's, every, it's in everything, it's all creation. It is the golden ratio. Now we get into the cause of the alignments are disputed. There are several major areas of interpretation. So we look at the archaeological. A new area of archaeological study, archaeogeodesy, examines geodesy as practiced in prehistoric times and as evidenced by archaeological remains. One major aspect of modern geodesy is surveying. As interpreted by geodesy, the so-called ley lines can be the product of ancient surveying, property markings, or commonly traveled pathways. Numerous societies, ancient and modern, employ straight lines between points of use. Archaeologists have documented these traditions. Modern surveying also results in the placement of constructs in the lines of landscape. It is reasonable to expect human constructs and activities uh, areas to reflect human use of lines. Very valid, right? What's, what's the shortest path? The shortest path between two points is a direct line. So the fact that we see all of these straight lines does not automatically signify that these are you know energy energetically charged lines there has to be more than just they're in a straight line so let's look at the cultural side many cultures use straight lines across the landscape in south america such lines are often directed towards the mountain peaks the nazca lines are a famous example of lengthy lines made by ancient cultures straight lines connect ancient pyramids in mexico Today, modern roads built on the ancient roads deviate around the massive pyramids. The Chaco culture of northeastern New Mexico cut stairs into sandstone cliffs to facilitate keeping roads straight. The New Age. So, the New Age, some writers widely regarded as pseudoscientific, have claimed that the ley lines and their intersection points resonate a special psychic or magical energy these series often include elements such as geomancy or geomancy dowsing or ufos some similar belief 
these points on lines have electrical or magnetic forces associated with them. And once you start bringing the UFOs in, I'm out. I want nothing to do with it. It's dog shit. Skeptical. Skeptics are uh, of the actuality of ley lines often classify them as pseudoscience, as we said before. Such skeptics tend to doubt that lines, uh, ley lines were planned or made by ancient cultures and argue that apparent ley lines can be readily explained without resorting to extraordinary or pseudoscientific ideas, which I do believe is possible because I do believe there's a little bit of uh, fanaticism to this, right? It's, it's blown up. So what's we've we've given how you know they believe that all these sites are sacred and how these lines carry this telluric and cosmic energy. Let's see what the critics have to say. <laughs> Flat out, ley lines do not exist. This was shown by Tom Williamson and Liz Bellamy in Ley Lines in Question, which analyzed such lines statistically and showed that the density of archaeological sites in British landscape is so great that a line drawn through virtually anywhere will clip a number of sites. And that's true. If you look at Britain, you look at France, you look at some of these European nations where they're so densely populated. Yeah, I mean, you can draw a line and you're gonna hit something, right? So then we have Paul Devereaux. And Mr. Devereaux He's a researcher. He claimed that the concept was bogus and that there was no way they could exist and that a reference to them in an occult book is the only reason that supernaturalists believe in them. Devereaux also claimed the ley lines could just be coincidentally overlapping with esteemed monuments. The lines that Watkins drew on his map could easily be explained by chance alignments. Jeff Ballinger the author of Paranormal Encounters, a look at the evidence which discusses the supernatural significance of ley lines, agreed. He pointed out the fact that the term could be used to describe a line of any length or location. It detracts from its validity and claimed that it is not specific enough to use. Seems like a valid claim. Now, this guy, uh, Carl Regan, or Reagan, he uh, wrote an article, a critical look at ley lines. And I, I really like this article. I found this after I had done my research and I had to include it after the fact because it made me question it, right? Again, get back to the motto, question everything. It, it made me think about it again because my big thing was with the line, right? And I'm thinking about drawing a pencil line on a map. Now, it seems like, okay, yeah, it's a straight line, but think about how big that line is in proportion to the map, right? That could be a five or 10 mile wide pencil line there. So, I mean, we're, we're being a little liberal here with our measurements and our, our, the way we lay things out. And I, and when Carl points it out here, he, you know, he makes, well, he has six points. It's really five points, and we'll go over them right here. He goes, um, so in his article, it says, in order to accept that ley lines are uh, as described by most purveyors and believers in fantastic claims of antiquity or new agers in general, there are some premises that have to be accepted as true. 
these lines are these are straight lines that okay he goes the problem however that once you start to increase the distance of the line straight becomes a very relative term as watkins originally described it this line that followed the earth's surface from point to point much like a navigational meridian which encircles the earth passing through each pole on its way until it arrives back at the point of origin this isn't a line at all it's a circle or to be precise if not pedantic an ellipse <laughs> however you decide to draw a ley line if you make it long enough its straightness becomes less and less apparent as it follows the curvature of the earth now i guess our flat earth friends would argue this that you know there is no curvature of the earth because look at everything else you can see it doesn't it's not curved but hey that's that's not my hell to die on number two precisely intersect multiple points of one would think that the width would be a trivial bit of information given the ability of the ancients to detect them and all but this is the sort of thing a ley line proponent would rather leave to the imaginations of the choir he or she is preaching to this is because if you spend too much time thinking about it you realize at some point the width can be so large as to render the concept meaningless and at an opposite point they become so narrow as to be ineffective and here's why when you draw a line on a map with a pencil wide enough to intersect each of these sacred sites along the ley line that can be hundreds of meters across very true sacred or important sites on the landscape and thus not trivial points of little interest this is uh one that the points intersected by ley lines are only ancient sacred special etc and not trivial or inconsequential if this were true then why would we define ley lines by connecting multiple points of pizza joints across London using a straight edge? Some would doubtless have uh, some would doubtless have encounter arguments. One being that pizza restaurants are sacred, and that it, I'd be hard pressed to disagree. But if this is the case, then where do we draw the line on special, sacred, or important? Suddenly, anything qualifies, right? And that's a good argument. So what? You know are we talking about significant and what what is significant again that's a matter of interpretation it's not fact so you get into fuzzy as to what is connected on these ley lines another counter argument might be that this uh, study is flawed because city streets in london are linear and naturally pizza places would be along these streets but i'd answer this is not a new thing culturally we uh, favor linear paths sometimes but the London's pizza joints ley lines are were not limited to all one street. They span many streets, some parallel, others convergent. Now, this one, there is a genuine energy transmitted, sometimes claimed to be telluric. The claim that there are one or more energies transmitted along ley lines. As it turns out, science has a very good understanding of the energy and how it to measure it. Many if not most ley line proponents claim that this energy is telluric i think this is because it's a strange word that isn't encountered often and so people are like yeah telluric man 
Telluric energy is quite simply earth current. It results from a variety of natural causes like the solar wind's effect on the magnetosphere and geothermal activity below the Earth's surface. But they can also be generated by man and are used for geophysical prospection where weak current is applied to the surface of the Earth at one point, then measured at another by gauging either the uh, conductivity or the resistivity which are reciprocal values of each other. The point is, it's measurable. Telluric currents at the extremely low frequencies, or ELFs, uh, but they're quite measurable. Such an energy doesn't follow narrow, precise lines along the Earth's surface. Rather, they broadcast at a wide range, with some waves bouncing off the ionosphere, others penetrating the Earth's crust or oceans and all traveling outward from the transmitter in all directions, depending on the antenna. Okay. That these ley lines existed first and the sacred sites were put on them, or the sacred sites were built and the ley lines formed later because of them. Ley lines either define the sacred sites or the sacred sites define ley lines, the classic chicken or the egg. I've heard both argued by ley line proponents. But mostly, it seems argued that the sacred sites are placed on ley lines by the ancients, and they are most always referred to this way, the ancients, not as prehistoric people, cultures, etc., not as early inhabitants or early humans, not as our ancestors, medieval, Bronze Age, Neolithic, Paleolithic, or otherwise. They are nearly always venerated by the term the ancients. They see the ancients as having had some sort of knowledge or understanding of the universe that is now lost to us. Well, they did. We still can't figure out how to build the fucking pyramids, you dipshit. <laughs> like, I love the people that say that. Like, they didn't have some some knowledge that we didn't have. We we are the most smartest thing ever. Bullshit. They had, they had knowledge that we have. They had things we can't replicate. This is how they knew how to build their sacred sites on ley lines because they, the Neolithic hunter-gatherer who was just the beginning uh, to consider maybe he could uh, make seeds to crop each year or keep some of the wild goats he caught in a pen, also had the means of detecting energy field transmitted along a line. Well, this argument can be totally blown out of the water by the pyramids. I mean, it's the same thing. You're saying along that time, and and we can go back. I mean, look at some of the structures that we're finding and some of the dates on some of this stuff. I mean, you were going to go Beckley Tepe. Minimum twelve thousand years, if not more, because I don't I don't necessarily trust all the old school dating either. But if you look, these ancients built these things. Go back to the the Mesoamerican. Uh, statues. Those things are all charged. Now, we'll get into this real quick. Uh, the Seattle Lake Line Project of 1987. So, Seattle is the first modern city that designed to build power systems and parks along the Earth's magnetic ley lines to create a sacred space similar to the magnetics in Stonehenge and other ancient sites around the world that build in sync with the harmonics and physical dimension with the spirit world. So 
if if there are no ley lines, then these people just wasted their money, their $5,000 grant they got back in 87. The practice of ley lines are following natural sacred geometric energy patterns in which prana, uh, chi, or holy ghost spirit energy moves along. Creating a space in harmonics. Okay, we're not going to go through. Seattle was a good candidate for the ley line project as it was also close to the Puget Sound which is a water source. Water passing through the sacred space is believed to be alchemical in communication with the spirit world. The Geo Group created the Seattle Ley Line Project in 1987 to identify and map existing ley lines in the city and then create environmental artwork to indicate and enhance their energies, an artwork commissioned and funded by the Seattle Arts Commission. Seattle is the first city in America, possibly the first modern city anywhere, to have its ley lines located and mapped. Sacred places located all over the world are generally located over various earth energies. These electromagnetic fields of energy emanating from the earth have a capability to improve the well-being of people as well as the earth as a whole. The introduction and background, the crisscrossing the earth's network of energy lines called ley lines, right? Ancient monuments, we've already done this. Um... Oh, it's the same slide. Huh. Okay, the standing stones. A number of power centers are in places ideal for standing stone. Alki Beach, the baseball field at the University of Washington Arboretum, the Rose Garden by Woodland Park Zoo, and a place near 17th Avenue and 45th Street entrance to the University of Washington. At these places, we envision large standing stones with the inset descriptive brass plaques. The standing stone is the simplest and most elementary megalithic monument consisting of a single stone embedded vertically in the ground. The standing stone is yang, masculine symbol. We've used dowsing techniques to identify and map the major ley lines and power centers located within Seattle. It is our opinion that Seattle is definitely a major center for Earth's energies. There are several places in the city that have the potential to become sacred places similar to, but not as large as Stonehenge or the Great Pyramid. So, what do you think? The people of Seattle have spoken and they believe ley lines are real. My issue is, is I have seen so many different maps None of them correlate with each other. None of them are based on any, you know, each each of them have a flow like this. You know, they take the map and they roll it out. None of them are on a flat map. Um, they're usually poor interpreter. I mean, yeah, look at this. Like this shockers of the earth one up here on the upper left is, I don't know. I I don't really agree with that just doesn't make sense to me i don't know um this one over here with the net if if i were to picture ley lines this is what i would picture it as like a spider web and at certain points yeah you would have this geometric power station right like a, the, the the capacitor the transmitter every the power center you're gonna have some one or multiple all around the globe Okay, and that's what I think this is. That's like the, these points, these flower points over here. That's what those are. And, you know, you just look at the different varieties of ley lines and 
Some are waves, some are direct lines. And again, if you draw a straight line, I mean, look at the, the size of these lines. How many miles across are these lines if they're to scale on, the, on these maps? Right? See, that's what we got to think about too is, you know, you're talking about math, massive swaths of land. Now, are we going off of, you know, scientific readings like lon, uh, latitude and longitude? That's a different story. And again, depending on where you look, the ley lines are different. And that's been my problem because I've been trying to find something good on ley lines in America. And there's some books out there and stuff like that. But even the maps, they're all the same. And I don't know, I was I was pretty unimpressed by it all. But that's what we got for ley lines, folks. I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know. If we go back and we, we look at them, myth or reality, I would say I believe that they are real. Do I believe that they've been identified properly? Not really, right? I don't think there's really been a, a dedicated search for them, a, a real effort. I think it's still seen as a pseudoscience. It's seen as woo-woo and... You know, some of that bullshit, like the crystals and all that stuff, which, hey, you don't have to believe. But if it works and you're just going to throw it out because you think it sounds stupid, who's the stupid one? And that's the way I look at it. Christ, my buddy made me this this uh, bracelet and it's got some uh, it's got some dragonstone. It's got some pyrite. It's got um, something else, and it's got a couple crystals in there, diamond. And he's, you know, the stones and the intention put into it supposed to help my arthritis. Now, is it going to cure it right away? Probably not. Will it do anything? I don't know. But I've put it on myself knowing that the intention was put into it and that I'm now using it for that positive manner. So it's all done in good intention. So I think, and I think that's where we get back to it with the lay. I think there is a natural earth energy grid. Have we been able to map it out? No. I think we know certain spots. I think you look wherever those pyramids are. I think wherever there's a mound, you know, look at government property. Where can't we go? Those are probably pretty significant energetic spots. Pretty significant historic spots. So are there ley lines in France? Chris Hardy seems to think so. And she's, you know, made some decent proposals, um, some propositions. But I think what we get out of this more is that there is sacred ground. There are sacred spots. And I feel like I, you know, I don't know if I am sold on the semantic field theory, but I think there's something to that, that the consciousness of that, whatever takes place in that building stays in that structure, stays in that land. Energy matter cannot be created nor destroyed. I think that's the same with our thoughts. It's the same with our words. 
right? Once you put something out there, it reverberates out there until it dies. And then when it dies, it just, it's not dead. It doesn't go away. It's still there. So we look at ley lines. I don't know. I, I, I find it interesting. I'd be interested to see if someone, and one of the things I wanted to do when I had more time and, you know, I was really focused on the star forts was going to try and map out the star forts and see how they connect, see what kind of interconnected network they have. Again, though, guys, if you start trying to connect things, eventually you're going to run into something that connects, right? I mean, that's just the laws of, of nature. But in reality, to, to find that it connects with a real purpose, that's what we're looking for right now. And and I didn't really find it with the with the ley lines. I didn't find a given set of ley lines that I could buy into. Now, do I believe there are powerful energetic lines on this planet? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's what explains a lot of these buildings. So we have to we have to keep digging, especially on this one. I think it's I think it's a really interesting idea. Um, the the Earth's natural uh, grid. I think the idea of of sacred spots and sacred ground. I agree with that, and I think that's why a lot of this country is has issues because some of the horrors that took place here and trying to cover that up. That's still in the land. You know, that's still there. So, but I think again. A lot of what was here has been buried too and destroyed. So you wouldn't even know if there was a line. So it's going to take a lot of research, digging into old maps, understanding the old structures, the old thoughts of the builders, right? We got to get in the head of the builders because they're the ones who chose these locations. Now, did they do it strictly based on the sun? Possibly. Build them just on the solstices. Yeah, that's that's a possibility. Were they built because of some energy in the ground? I don't know. Haven't seen it yet. But I do see this connection. I see it in churches. Okay, you see structure, water source underneath. You see the star forts, structure, water source underneath. What do you see in both of them? Sacred geometry, the golden ratio. We see all this similar stuff. So it can't be that far off. But at the same time, I don't think we've nailed it yet. I think there's more work to be done. And that's where you all come in. Right? I'm one person. I threw together 50 some odd slides for this. Spent a couple weeks researching it. Off and on. And the better part of the last week putting this little presentation together. So now I need you to do your part if you're really interested in them. Take this ball and run with it. Let me know what you find. I'm interested. This is really as far as I'm going with ley lines. I'm moving on to the, the, the builder side of things. The people, the energy. And we're going we're gonna to start, I think I'm going back to the uh, antiquities in America next because i want to start looking at who are 
the natives? This is a a wild, wild question. Um, and in the book that I found, I think I found some very interesting information that I've never heard before, some connections that I've never heard before. And guys, it all starts working itself together. Right? We're talking about the buildings, the cathedrals. We're talking about who built them. Why did they build them? Where they built them? Why did they build them in the shape they built them? All these things are important in the story of history to understand it. And a lot of that knowledge has been hidden, not provided, kept secret. And I think now we're starting to see the great awakening and the information is starting to unfold. So what do we need to do? We need to be vigilant. We need to look at the information, analyze it, go through it with a fine-tooth comb, find out what's not true, get rid of that right away, and then keep looking more. And we'll get there eventually. I think we're doing great things together. I think we're uncovering a lot of information that needs to be brought out there. So I thank you all for this. Uh, do me a favor, share, leave a review. Um, you know, five stars. I will read reviews. There were none this time, so I didn't have anything to read. Patreon.com slash the Great Deception Podcast. Uh, go to Instagram.com. I have a link tree there. You can find all my links. You can find the merch store. I got some cool t-shirts and hoodies out there. Um Men and women, go check them out. Uh, the mugs are really cool. I got a tumbler out there. Those are those are fun. Um, and then aside from that, guys, let's just keep getting better every day. This place is a fucking insane asylum. And we need to try and calm it out. Bring some rational energy to this very irrational time so thank you go check this out it'll be on spotify like i said it'll be on patreon uh it'll be on youtube eventually i want you all to get it here first and as always stay strong and question everything it's about total control mental physical spiritual every way shape form possible you have to remember how big of a conspiracy this is this isn't talking about just the jfk thing or isn't talking about just 9 11 it's on an umbrella kind of system to where it is the biggest deception that there is it actually exposes every other deception and nothing else brings down the power of the elite because it really exposes education science the economy, television, museums, universities. Think of all the things that have been fooled. I feel worse for the people that are out there building satellites, the people that are out there actually working for these space agencies, the people out there teaching in schools as professors, because they would all come to the conclusion eventually, once this gets out, that they've all been contributing to the lie.
Thank you.